Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 301, Games, Game Feel, and Umami. Presented by James Wallace, Kat Tobin, Kieran Gillian, and Jacob Jaskov. Hello and welcome to Games, Game Feel, Vocabulary and Umami, uh, a panel about how we talk about games. Uh, the first panel of uh, uh, the day for, for Saturday morning. Um, early morning if you're in America, we apologise for that. Uh, Mid-afternoon for the rest of us who are over in Europe. Um, we are all five or six hours ahead of you, which means we're slightly more awake. Also being five or six hours ahead, we know the results of the election. Uh, but we won't tell you because that would just spoil the surprise. So um, I will, I'll introduce my panellists in a moment. But first of all, a little bit about what we're talking about. Um, umami is the fifth taste. You may know about that. You may have heard about it. For a long, long time, it we talked about food as if there were four tastes. Sweet, sour, salty and bitter. Uh, and that was the vocabulary of, of talking about food. And then actually in the early 20th century, a, a Japanese chef journalist came up with the concept of umami or recognized the concept of umami, which is kind of richness, savoriness. It's um, once you know about it, once you know what it is, you recognize it in food and it's always been there. We just didn't have the word for it. And that's a really interesting piece of, of vocabulary. And it's something that a conversation I had two years ago with uh, Jakob uh, Jaskov at um, uh, Essen, really crystallized in, in my mind. I've been a games reviewer and designer but for a, for a long time. But in my reviewing work, I was coming across things I wanted to describe in games and realized there were no good words and was quite often resorting to the vocabulary of wine criticism or food to try and talk about the richness of a game or, or you know, how it, 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 the attack of, of a particular mechanic. This is not ideal. Anyway, um, um, we're going to try and discuss that and, and see if there's another solution. Um, I'd like to briefly introduce, I'll, I'll let my panel introduce introduce themselves. Um, Kieran, should we start with you? Hi, I'm Kieran Gillen. It's worth noting on Twitch, we've got two cats and no Jacobs on the stream. Like, uh, so there's a technical problem still ongoing, at least on the one I'm seeing. Uh, but I guess we, we press on in this kind of sense. More trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's like the actual the, the kind of doubled cat is quite a cool effect, actually. Uh, yes, one of them has your name. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, I'm Kieran Gillen. I've um, I've got a weird sort of history of dual classing. Like in the in the distant past, I was a games journalist. I wrote mainly about video games. Uh, I sort of became most infamous circa like 2003, 2004, when I wrote something that was described as a manifesto. Uh, about something I coined as new games journalism, which is a way of basically talking about games in a more experiential rather than the so the inside out rather than the outside in. Uh, there's a lot about subjectivity in the pit, you know, how to expl explain the uh, phenomenological experience of a game. That was kind of what the, I was doing back then, um, as well as making bad jokes. And since then, I became a comic writer and sort of came back uh, into sort of game design because I've started doing stuff alongside uh, several of my comics. So I just, uh, I did a, this entire role-playing game system hanging off the side of this comic, Die, which is this big deconstruction-y thing about why people play games anyway. Uh, so that's me. Jacob, we, can we see if, is your voice at least showing up on the stream? Can you see me? Can you hear me? I hope you can hear me. Do, will I will I jump in while we're waiting for Jakob's video to? Yes, I, yeah, I think it's probably the best idea. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah, because I I presume that somebody's working on that. I hope yeah. they're anyway. Um, 
Yeah, um, so my name is Kat Tobin. I'm the co-owner and managing director of um, a tabletop RPG company called Pelgrane Press. And we work uh, primarily with um, what I call kind of character-driven and narrative-focused RPGs. So we're really interested in um, player agency, player experience at the table, um, allowing players to uh, curate their own experience as much as possible within our game systems, and also to, um, to really focus on collaboratively creating a story and to ease the friction in game systems and game mechanics to allow that to happen in the most free-flowing way. Um, yeah, so, so um, our company is all about uh, tabletop RPGs. In my, in my kind of hobby gaming time, um, I'm also really, really interested in um, what's called Nordic LARP. And that's um, essentially, it's live action role-playing, but it, it tends to have a more political focus um, and it's more um, interested in bigger topics than exploring dungeons or, you know, hacking things up with swords. So um, it's very political. Um, and there's a lot of really, really fascinating, really weighty and academic discourse that happens around the Nordic LARP scene. Um, so I'm, I've gotten really interested in the philosophy of, of games and of tabletop games. And I think it's really important that we talk more about that in the tabletop space. You know, we do a lot of talk about um, design and mechanics and setting and, and all of this, but we don't talk about the, the philosophy. You know, we don't approach it as an academic subject in the way that I feel that we should. So, yeah. Um, Jacob is vis- um, visible now, by the way. Oh. Yes. Excellent. Um, Jacob, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, pleasure. So <clears throat> my name is Jacob Jaskov. Uh, I'm living in Denmark, and uh, I have a background within philosophy and political science. I've been a futurist, so my profession was to predict the future, and I worked with some big companies doing that and also doing a lot of innovation stuff. And uh, one of the big things I've been working on is how to help people uh, discover and navigate uh, fiction and, and, and be more engaged with reading. Uh, so that was a huge project I did uh, with some others for the Danish libraries. Uh, and this is actually implemented now. So we, we, we did a big thing that we, where we introduced a new language and a new vocabulary about books. And that, that's basically the, the discussion I had with James. Uh, so, so, yeah, so that's where this comes come from. Besides that, I'm also a game designer. Uh, I've designed a, a game called Fog of Love. Romantic comedy as a board game. Again, something that is quite different and, and creates different experiences that you usually have in, in this field. So I'm always exploring like uh, new new boundaries and how to, how to go beyond these and how to to also to to navigate what we are doing. Okay, um, fantastic. I just realized I didn't introduce myself. Uh, I'm James Wallace. Um, right now, I'm studio manager of Green Board Games, uh, which is part of the Asmodee Group. We're the only design studio, uh, Asmodee Design Studio in the UK. But before that, I've been a games journalist, games designer, games publisher, games academic, games critic, um, uh, games. Le- I've done quite a lot of stuff around games generally. Um, and I think, like my my three companions here, a lot of what I've been doing over my career has been pushing games not in a direction specifically of narrative, but of what narrative can bring to games, which is exploring things other than simply manipulating mechanics, uh, ways that games can tell stories, but ways that games can make us feel, the, the emotions and, and sensations that games can, can provoke. Um, we've all kind of got, I think we've all kind of got an interest in how games make us, make us feel. And this was kind of the, the lack that I was finding in, in the critical vocabulary. Of, of games generally, uh, or the way we talk about games. Now, one of the things I, I did back in the mid nineties uh, with my uh, friend and co-designer, Andrew Wilston, we published a quasi-academic journal called Interactive Fantasy, which is, it's, it's free to download on DriveThruRPG if you want to do that, uh, if you want to look it up. Issue two, we published a, an essay by Greg Kostikian, uh, one of the great RPG designers of the eighties and nineties. He did an essay called I Have No Words and I Must Design, which was about the need for a critical vocabulary of games and went a long way to, to provoking really an understanding of what we mean when we talk about games, specifically mechanics and how games, games work. And it's still a set text on uh, a lot of games courses at university level. Um, and it's a terrific read and it's free to download on, on the internet. And I recommend it very highly because Greg is a, a terrific writer. Um, 
and a lot of the 90s were kind of, and the early 2000s, the work of the Forge, revolved around under, beginning to understand developing a critical vocabulary, develop, developing ways to talk about games and about the ways that games work, but very much on a mechanical level, on the way that the game systems interact. Um, and there's still a lot of that, that going on. A terrific book published early this year, I think, um, The Building Blocks of, of Tabletop Game Design by, oh, I'm blanking on the author's names, um, but it's basically, it's, it's an encyclopedia of games mechanics. It's something like 168 different games mechanics broken down with examples, all the 16 or 17 different ways that you can run auctions in games. It's completely exhaustive. What it doesn't say really at any point is why, why these mechanics are different, how they affect the way that a game feels, because games are, we don't just enjoy games because they're games, we enjoy games because of the way they make us feel. Um, and Kieran, this goes back to where the New Games uh, Journalism Manifesto came from. Um, obviously, early stages and, and a different field, but do you want to field? Do you want to have a, a, a brief uh, this introduction to what that actually was? Um, this is, of course, it's one of those weird things. Of course, this is nearly 20 years ago now. So it's one of those situations where I'm about to describe something that feels like almost taken for granted, but especially in video games, like circa then, there was an idea about conversation around games being quite limited. Like people were quite confused about anything that wasn't either a, a consumer review or a preview or maybe an interview and anything else that wasn't one of those three was just people looked at you funny. And that's of course, that's kind of the major field I worked in. I, you know, I tried to do a lot of st other stuff. And a lot of what people were trying to do was, okay, we can look, at, we can look outside the game, we can break it down to its mechanics. You know, why, why does Mario's camera make, and work well you know you break down mario to being a game predominantly about walking around a flat plane that's what you spend most of your time doing and that must be pleasurable on some level you know all those kind of weird that, that basic mechanical look but that's not how we talk about games socially i mean james mentioned earlier the whole kind of turning to wine metaphors <laughs> uh, and i don't like that's not, almost not a problem i mean a lot of my career after my games journalism was about trying to talk about music in comics which is untrans, which is really impossible to transfer. So dancing about architecture, exactly. And I would. It's, it's one of those things. I was hundred percent dance about architecture if people didn't laugh. Um, in the so the idea was to actually talk about something a little bit more um, anecdotal. Was the best way of putting it. The phrase which I dropped in the middle of the piece was travel journalism to imaginary places. Uh, this obviously applies mostly to like stuff like MMO specifically, but also about you know what's it like to be in Zelda. You know, because you play that that moment to moment experience, all these interesting anecdotes. That's how you talk about it in the pub. You know, you don't talk. You know, and that and that in my heart was here's a way to talk about games, which is a more natural, b gives more space for actual writing, because uh, writing is basically a you know a series of solving tools on the fly. I mean, every single novelist will always say, oh, they have to work out how to write each novel in times. In some ways, that's kind of what NGJ forwarded the idea okay to truly explain any individual game is a work of creativity and art and it, there's not the general solution is just to use creativity to try to best imply how this game made you feel and you take people on a journey so that's kind of what it did like as i said a lot of this is metabolized into general games conversation anyway it's like a lot of it was happening anyway you can sort of see this in like uh like let's play culture is very clearly experiential based play you know at any time anyone uses um anecdote it's just become more forward but at the same time it's 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 the tactic that music journalists have been doing forever as in how does this band make me feel and they just sort of attack it <laughs> uh i guess that was um if you sort of step back a bit and the name implies what we were trying to do was bring techniques from other forms of criticism and journalism to uh games and just applying them because they they seem to create effects i enjoyed in other forms you know somebody who likes music and somebody who likes uh, literature and etc. Let's apply some of those techniques to talk about it like that. That's a, an overview of what we're talking about, I think. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. The idea of, of borrowing criticism, uh, fields of criticism or forms of criticism from other art forms is something I've, I've been thinking about. I mean, obviously, video games borrow an awful lot from cinema. Cinema borrowed from theatre originally. Role-playing games seem to borrow more from board games than perhaps from other narrative forms. People don't generally talk about role-playing games as if they were novels or as if they were films, unless, I mean, exceptions to that are, are Robin Law's 
who's done an awful lot of, of great breaking down of, of the way that story beats work in games. Um, but uh, Jacob, um, sorry, is it Jacob or Jacob? So I, usually I just say Jacob in English. Jacob, in English, okay. Jacob, uh, I'm used to call myself Jacob in English. So Jacob, okay. Uh, I apologize uh, for getting it wrong. Um, the, you, you've blown my mind. I didn't realize that you're, until a couple of days ago, that your project with um, the libraries had actually come to fruition. Uh, this way of describing books yeah. in terms of what they're, not the genre, not the style, but essentially how they make us feel, the, the, the content, how the content affects us. Can you, can you describe a bit more about that? Yeah, so, so this was a big project uh, driven by uh, DBC, the Danish Digital Libraries. Uh, system, uh, and, and they, they, they develop uh, digital library systems for, for all the libraries in Denmark. So we are quite lucky in Denmark that we have a, one big library system uh, and also one huge catalog where all, all books can be found. So, so uh, not the fragmentation you have in many other countries. So, that, so that's uh, a luxury. And, uh, and the institutions that work with this, they, they also then, of course, they want to drive more reading and uh, usage of books. And I was then hired by this, <clears throat> this organization to help them figure out how can we make people read more uh, and, and engage more with reading. Uh, so what I did was to go out and interview people uh, very openly, uh, just ask them, okay, how, how, how is their behavior regarding uh, uh, finding something to read, uh, being engaged with that, sharing that, uh, but also other kinds of media. So how do they discover media and how do they share this and how do they enjoy this? And we figured out after uh, many very open interviews that people, they didn't know <clears throat> how to look for stuff. And we interviewed also, we interviewed very naive people, but also booktubers who are like, uh, who already know a lot about books and, and, and proselyze books. So, so, so we have people who already know stuff about books, but they couldn't express what kind of books are interesting and, and why uh, you read this versus this. <clears throat> so I've, I've found out basically this, this must have something to do with that, yeah, the ability to, to express. It's, it's the lack of language, lack of vocabulary. Uh, and with my background in philosophy, I could <clears throat> right away see that this is a key thing in how all disciplines evolve. Because if you looked into the history of all disciplines, so for example, uh, physics, uh, it, it has evolved. Uh, physics evolved when you began to have new words uh, new uh, new uh, terms for for the things you want to work with, and then and of course having precise terms, and then uh, use them in a systematic way. And suddenly there was a huge uh, boom in physics, and then you, then you could build bridges in a much better way, and ensuring that they didn't crash, and you could use less material and still have strong bridges, etc. So so uh, we had a huge boom in, in in engineering because of a new language. We also we are seeing the same thing now within biology, for example, so we are much better on describing what to do. So we are able actually to do, for example, create a vaccine within a year, something that, that would have been impossible even with a global effort before, because we have better language and better way of describing stuff. So I could see that so we need the same thing for books. Uh, and, and somehow, even though books uh, and literature is about, uh, it's, it's so central to our culture and it's something that uh, people have discussed for many years, there is actually no good way to describe. Uh, there are very few uh, few ways to describe them, uh, and and some of this has to do with politics. So, uh, for uh, like hundred years ago, when hundred fifty years ago, when libraries began to pop up, especially in the U.S., uh, they wanted people to read nonfiction. So, the, so they said so they so they developed category systems for nonfiction books, uh, and then uh, they actually shied away from categorizing fiction because they didn't want people to find fiction. Uh, so, so, so that was actually a conscious choice not to categorize fiction. Uh, and, and that has been a huge problem within the library sector for many years. So, so, they, so they, when they categorized fiction books, they actually they used the nonfiction uh, terminology. So this book is about this and this and this, not how it feels. Uh, because, because obviously these people are smart and they could figure out that, okay, we, we can look at the experience, but we don't want to because we don't want to have <laughs> and to share these experiences. Of course, this changed later on um, in, the, in the late uh, 
uh, last uh, century. Uh, so the 1960s, 70s, 80s it began to change. Uh, but then there was also a lot of uh, internal politicking about, okay, can we actually describe this uh, objectively? Because this, this is about subjective emotions and subjective experiences. So we didn't want to do that. But ultimately, of course, uh, I would say that, uh, that uh, smart people prevailed and, and they figured out how to, uh, to, uh, to actually begin to describe books. And, and within uh, the library sector, there's uh, a, whole, a whole discipline called uh, reader's advisory that, uh, that is about helping people navigate fiction. And then they figured out that there are some uh, appeal factors uh, for books. So, so uh, because of course, different people have uh, different things that they are interested in. So they, so they figured out, okay, what is appealing within books? And there are, and there are like six, seven, five uh, different appeal factors that are focused on. And we use them and, we, and based on the, uh, uh, we were inspired by this, but then also some other research about how people uh, consume experiences, how they, uh, how they yeah, experience stuff, a lot of cognitive stuff. Uh, and based on this, we then begin in our project, we began to design uh, a new structured uh, terminology for uh, for books uh, where we could then uh, uh, begin to catalog the books that we already have in the system and new books according to these new experiential factors uh, and yeah, this is a pro it's a project it's a project that took us three years to develop both within figuring, figuring out how to do this terminology but also then designing the interface the navigation interface that supports more intuitive and inspirational uh, discovery of, of fiction and ultimately we we had a we had a beta test uh, one year ago that, uh, that began to be public one and a half years ago and and this year now it's it's uh, we took off the the beta because now it's just running in the Danish libraries and the result is that we now in Denmark we are categorizing all new fiction books all new books according to this uh, new terminology new system so going forward, uh, everything that is published in Danish uh, will uh, will be discoverable according to how it's how it feels, what experiences it evokes, uh, and and then we also then trying to figure out how to then categorize all books backward because of course there's a catalog going more than hundred years back <laughs> of uh, of stuff, but uh, but ultimately this is becoming the biggest cultural IT project or data project in Denmark. Because all fiction will be recategorized uh, uh, and discoverable in new ways, and that means that suddenly people can find stuff that isn't just about, okay, I have this book, uh, give me something similar to that book. So, so, and and this way of of talking about books, I have something, give me something else that is similar. This is the most primitive way of of having language. So, using exemplars, uh, and that's the way people used to, to search books and the other ways then having broad genres but that means that you have a very few genres and people then navigate within these broad genres and this is uh, extremely uh, like closed-minded because of course you can have a lot of books that fit in between genres and are completely new uh, but people cannot express that they're interested in these they don't understand this because they navigate according to genres. That also means that publishers aren't interested in publishing stuff that does not fit into a big genre. So it actually, it's limiting the creative efforts of, of all authors. And authors know that. The authors know that they need to be able to publish into specific genres because that, that helps their sales. So that's also part of the discussion we have between authors and uh, publishers. Uh, especially if they want to, to like drive some sales and of course ultimately they do want to do that because they need to make a living so all this is the, the old way of navigating is also limiting for for the creative space and we wanted to change that and we, we are seeing that so we are seeing uh, the big uh, publishers in Denmark beginning, beginning to take this up and being interested we're seeing uh, also the bookstores they are super interested in, in actually uh, adopting uh, these new uh, ways of navigating books because this this can help their sales and uh, and it can grow the it can grow the market for everyone so readers can discover new books and and be more engaged with books books uh, booksellers of course can sell more books <laughs> and also help them organize what they have and and the same for publishers and uh, libraries can 
yeah can get more people to read and uh, and everybody becomes yeah it's it's a win win for everyone basically because we are creating a new language so so, so that's that was the experience I had there and then uh, of course I'm also a game designer and and, and working within games so, so so the immediate thought is an obvious thought is of course can we do the same for games. Yeah. Wow, it, it's um, I, I, every time you describe that, I, I just my mind explodes with the, the possibilities of it. Um, Kat, I was wondering if I could bring you in at, at this point because um, I mean the, the key difference, obviously, between literature and reading, and indeed TV and, and film and and games, is that they uh, games are not only interactive but also immersive. And I think the most immersive form there is out there is is Nordic LARP. And what makes it immersive is the fact that it's so close to lived experience. It, essentially, you are, you're acting a, a, a similar experience. In the way that people talk about Nordic LARP and the experience of it, and, and the, the experience of designing it, and I know that Pelgrim has published a bunch of, of really interesting Nordic LARP books and have won, won a number of awards for them as well. Um, do you see that, is, is this something that's kind of happening already? Are people talking about the games in an experiential way or are they talking about it in, in a much more mechanical kind of way? Is this a vocabulary that's beginning to emerge through in games design already? Um, that's a really good question. And I think going back to what you um, were saying earlier about kind of board games or about um, RPG criticism borrowing heavily from uh, board games criticism, at least at the start, um, that's certainly very true. And there is a big tendency to describe a game. Um, so, I, yeah, so I guess to describe Nordic LARPs in the way, um, so a, a key concept in, in Nordic LARPs, and which I think to be extended to all forms of role playing is bleed, where um, what you experience and feel as a character, it kind of bleeds into your your own personal life and, and your real existence. And, you know, talking about vocabulary, this is a new term that has been um, crystallized recently. And there are a lot of new vocabulary terms like that in Nordic LARP that, that are speaking about very specific experiences within those, those categories. And as you said, like once we have a word for something, we can then talk about it. We can then explore it. We can then build on it, invent on it create on it, break it and, and play around with it. And it becomes another tool in our creative toolbox. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a conversation that is starting to happen, but, but certainly from my own experience, the way that I've heard people talk about, um, talk about playing, not just vertical arts, but also other types of role-playing games is that they'll usually talk about the emotions of their character, right? Or the, the emotions of them playing their character, say. So they'll say, you know, when when I had this big argument with my, you know, in-game partner, you know, I felt really sad or I felt really angry or I felt really like this. Um, but that's not, you know, in a purely abstract sense, you're not feeling that. Your character is feeling that. And we don't really, again, talking about um, feelings and, and vocabulary for it, we don't have a way of differentiating the, the gradation between what you as a person, what you as a player are experiencing versus what your character is experiencing in that moment. And I don't know, for, um, I'm trying to think of an example, like for example, if you're really hungry, right? You might be, you know, as a player, you might be hangry, right? You might be like spoiling for a fight and, and that will be through into your character. Um, but in theory, your character isn't angry and your character shouldn't be angry. Your character has no reason to be angry. so. There is a whole um, reciprocity and a kind of a feedback circle that, again, we just we don't have words for describing that. You know, we, we talk can I, about. Can I just jump in? Because you yeah. used a word which I think originates in LARP, which yeah. has begun that you said bleed. Bleed is a LARP specific word or about the way that emotions that you are feeling as a person leaking through to your character or emotions mm. that your character is feeling in game leaking through to the, the real world. And this is a, a very specific piece of vocabulary, a very useful piece of vocabulary. Um, yeah. So I, th I think, sorry, I just, I really wanted to jump in on that. I apologize mm. for breaking the flow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it, it's... You're muted. Um, so the, yeah, the, the people within the Nordic Lord community and, and a lot of who have um, 
a lot of um, people in the US and, and in Europe who have gone to Nordic LARP events, who have experienced those, those kind of games are also starting to bring those conversations um, in more into, um, into uh, tabletop spaces, which, which I think is fantastic. Um, so yeah, the, the, certainly the appetite to develop a vocabulary is there. Um, the interest and drive is already there in, in, you know, and I hate to use the term progressive because it's not a progressive versus regressive. It is more a subjective personal uh, preference as to what type of game you enjoy. But I think that in the more um, edge case games, the, the games that are trying to do newer things and the people who are creating those games, there's, there's a big appetite for that extended vocabulary. And to be able to describe, um, like, so I, I've played a lot of, I love games in general, right? So tabletop is, is my profession and my one true love. Um, but I, I've, I have played and I do enjoy a lot of other different types of games. And there's a world of difference between the experience of playing a board game versus the experience of playing a role-playing game versus the experience of playing, say, for example, a pervasive game um, or like a street game. And, and there, are, there are points of commonality, but at the moment we can't really talk about the points of commonality between those because we're using different vocabularies to describe them. So with, um, like I said, with, with um, a game, like there's, there's this whole kind of recurring concept of let me tell you about my character, right? Where people are like, oh no, I don't wanna hear your character stories. But the character stories are less, um, you know, they're less about how you felt and more about, it's more uh, borrowing from narrative forms, right? It's more borrowing from um, from literature. You know, they, this was my character's journey. These, these were the plot elements that, um, you know, that my character encountered through this story. But very few people will say, let me tell you about my character. You know, when I played this character, I felt like this, right? This is how playing that character made me feel. This was the, this was the lived experience of playing that character. We, we have no real vocabulary for that lived, that, that very um, um, intangible experience of inhabiting that character within that moment, interacting in that world, you know? And it's, it's kind of very much, um, you know, even in a LARP, if you're, if you're interacting with your surroundings and interacting with other people, a lot of it is still happening in your head. A, a lot of the game and a lot of the experience is still happening in your head. And, and we kind of talk very often about not being able to record or document um, LARPs or tabletop RPGs because like that, you, you can't record what's happening because what's happening is, is very often happening in the heads of participants. It's happening in their minds and in their imaginations. And, you know, and again, because it's something that's happening internally, we don't have, we, with a lot of things that happen internally in our heads, we, we find it very difficult to share those with other people, to explain the, the experience that we are having in our brains at that time. You know, and, and kind of uh, psychology and therapy are coming up with, you know, a lot of, again, new vocabulary for that, for mindsets, for ways of being, ways of experiencing the world. Um, and and, and it's, it's just, that is helpful, but the experience of playing a role-playing game, whether live action or tabletop, it's just, it's not like other media. It's not like watching a film. It's not like reading a book. It's not even like playing a board game. It's, it's something else. It's collaboratively co-creating a whole universe inside your head and living in that world for a contained amount of time. Yeah, and, and yes. So I think we need more words in conclusion. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, just to, if I, can, if I can jump in at this point, one of the things I've always found interesting about RPGs is there is a real sense, and I don't know if there's any veracity to this or not, but the sense that when the GM describes a scene and we describe what, as players what we're doing within it, we were all picturing the same thing in our heads. Now, objectively, that can't be true, but there's a real sense that, particularly if you've got a good GM, that you are occupying the same mental space and almost you're visualizing the same, the same space. You're almost looking at something that almost has a reality outside you, the inside of your head. You're just looking at it through different portals. There's no name for that. We don't have a name to describe that. Um, and I think it's a really important concept because I think one of the problems that role-playing games have had as a medium is explaining what they are. 
that question about what role, what is a role playing game? Absolutely. Why do RPGs still still have that? It's purely it's purely experiential, right? Purely yeah. experiential. You cannot explain what it is. You have to actually do it. You have to play it. You have to live it. You know. Yeah. And, and again, it's because we don't have words for it. No, but it's the same thing if you try to explain how does it feel to read a book to a person who has never read a, a fictional story. So you have this mm-hmm. these this collection of pages. And, and it's bound, and then you're flipping through these pages, you're actually looking at these letters, and they're all over the place, but you need to follow a, a structure. And then by looking at these letters in a sequential way, back and forth, line after line, something happens in your mind, and you are engaged. <laughs> and like, okay, <laughs> why is this engaging <laughs> to looking at letters and, and, and doing these mechanical things? Uh, yeah. And of course, then... But and then you can say, but and it's like telling a story and listening to a story, okay? But who's telling? And I I, I cannot understand it. Uh, and of course, until you have tried it, you cannot understand it. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, uh, be... oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and then and, and then you can then uh, try to say, okay, and then what about uh, lyrics uh, and uh, poetry and uh, other other types of uh, like uh, fictional uh, stories that are. Comp- really putting this uh, experimenting with the medium and then again okay ex- explaining how does it feel to, to read uh, Ulysses for example <laughs> I don't know yeah Thanks. yeah I, I, I just I, I just wanted to jump in there because I think that's that's really really fascinating I'm like oh my gosh I, I, I could just not talk at all during this panel and just sit here and listen to Jacob because <laughs> everything you're saying is so fascinating um, and we've had a question in the in the comments asking if you have um, any links that you can share. I don't know if your work is in Danish or if it's in English, but we'd love love to be able to share links. People would like to know what kind of categories your project came up with as well during that kind of information. But like, I know for me, like at the moment, the world is is such a a place, right? Um, (laughs) That I can only read what I'm calling cozy books, right? So I'm being really drawn to like Agatha Christie, right? So like those kind of, books that are like you know stimulating but not too stimulating and and I have no words you know for that but and so as a result I'm going back to the books that I've already read because I don't have a vocabulary for finding books that are like that that are new mm-hmm. yeah. fascinating and, and I think that the vocabulary for finding games as well we'll say well this one's powered by the apocalypse so you'll like this other powered by the apocalypse game or you um you know you like Thulu so you'll like this Cthulhu game and it's, it's absolutely not true I, I'm in a lot of Facebook board game groups and maybe a tenth of the traffic is people going I just discovered board games I really love Total X what what should I play next and there is no clear path people go oh well maybe something by the same designer or maybe something that is also about the Nordic fishing industry in the 1970s or you know and that's actually not useful we, we need a way of saying, you know, something that will make you feel the same way. And, and we don't have those words. How do we find, I don't think anyone, I mean, Jacob, you're the, you're the closest to having actually defined a vocabulary for this kind of thing, but for literature, which is, is you know, as we mm-hmm. say, it's, it's a very different form. Um, when I kind of look at books that define a vocabulary for a form, I, I always go back to an, an inspirational text for me, which is Scott McLeod's Understanding Comics which mm-hmm. um, just kind of defined, took it took the comic medium apart and explained how it worked in the form of a graphic novel. And if, if, you, if anyone out there has not read it, you have 30 seconds to get to, don't go to Amazon, go to any other online bookstore. Understanding comics may change your life. It actually genuinely changed my life because it was the inspiration for interactive fantasy. We were trying to do understanding comics for games in a very kind of cack-handed mid-90s kind of way. Um, but Jacob, what's yeah, I th- what do you think the path to to a, a vocabulary, a, an experiential vocabulary for games? I think it, the first thing to do is, of course, it's it's also being pragmatic because the same. For example, if you try to categorize books, you can you can look at how many letters are per page, or you can look at a lot of different things, and all of these things might be meaningful. But but you need to do something that is meaningful for people for those who actually experience so you need to understand what is actually appealing for them what is important in the usage context so this is pragmatic because everything you can you can create endless categories 
And, and of course you can do that. But if you're trying to, then to, to understand, uh, again, from a user perspective, what is important for people when they read, what is appealing for them? And then that's basically doing a lot of interviews, but also, or studying other people's study about what's, how people enjoy, for example, fiction or within our field, how they enjoy uh, games uh, and also different types of games. And then we, uh, we of course, need to, to widen our uh, like mind space and not just think about, okay, we already know these games. So uh, for some, we have this usual split between board games and role-playing games. And I actually, I don't subscribe to that split. For some, my own game, Fog of Love, is both a role-playing game <laughs> and a board game. Uh, we market it as a board game because I know it's easier to sell <laughs> as a board game rather than a role-playing game, but it's both. And it can, uh, and I think it's important then to understand, okay, what are games more broadly? Uh, and also, and then trying to understand how do people enjoy games? What's important for, for people when they enjoy games? Some people, definitely go for uh, for theme uh, and mood so we have uh, i have some examples with me so for example, i think many people would know this game uh, wingspan it's a super big hit recently uh, and many people enjoy that game not because of the mechanics but because of the mood so of course mo the mood the f the tone the like the 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 universe it's played within is important uh, for some people. So, so that's, uh, of course, one category to look at. And that's something we already can see. It's quite similar to what we know from, from other fictional stories because they also have a setting uh, and a mood. But then, uh, of course, there's also something else because there's also something about how, how you interact with each other. So uh, because people play games to be social. They're not just or some people. Of course, they're also soul players. <laughs> you shouldn't forget about that. But, that, but then again, they have a... a a way to play games that are that it's it's also as like a social category about not being social <laughs> uh so so we can then try to figure out okay what what does it mean to be social for people and and how do they enjoy being social do they enjoy beating each other up uh and that's the way games originally have been defined where you have conflict and where you are competing and where you have a winner and a loser uh but that's not an, an enjoyable way of being social for many people uh, and that has hindered uh, our field uh, for many years because we had this very old notion about what a game is, that we need to compete and we need to have a winner. So winning is also something that many people believe is an important thing of a game. I don't. <laughs> so that's also not part of my game. And that confuses a lot of people because then they, they, they it's interesting, but it's not a game. So should I actually like it or not? But you can still ask them, do you like it? <laughs> do you enjoy it? And how does it make it feel? for you so yeah so how do what kind of like modes are there in in terms of, of being social with each other are we collaborating are we competing are we trying to coordinate so a lot of the uh, 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 collaborative games we have out there are actually not very collaborative they're coordinative games so we so we are not collaborating because collaboration is also about trust about uh, the ability not to to actually choose to uh, to work with each other because you can actually also be selfish uh, and if if there's no way to be selfish there's also no way to be collaborative it's just coordination and being good or bad at coordinating so you can talk about that and then but then you can then explore what it does mean to be collaborative and how do you create games with trust that was also one of the things i wanted to do in my game uh, actually having a game where you can choose to collaborate as a uh, within uh, being a romantic couple or not, and you, both ways can work out. Uh, so, so that also gives us a, a, a more interesting design space. If you begin to, to explore what kind of ways can you be social with each other, and then uh, of course there's also how how games relate to stories uh, because games uh, tell stories, uh, or they also help you create your own stories. So that's also like one way to think about it. Is it a game where you are exploring a, a written story and, and, and this, these stories can then be of, again, of different type or is it a game where you create your own story? And then there are games that, uh, and then of course that we also have stuff about mastery and about competition. So if people want to be competitive and, and master stuff, then of course we have uh, all the classical ways <laughs> to look at games about how how can we master systems and, and which ways we have to master these and of, and I think a lot of the categories we have within uh, 
that's Jeff Engelstein, by the way, his way of uh, classifying games, but also on BGG, uh, that, that's different system focuses. And all these system focuses are interesting if you want to master something. <laughs> and of course, some of these also then help you create uh, narratives in other ways. But, uh, but I think uh, a, a lot of what's happening within uh, like more novel uh, games that tell stories, we don't use uh, these mechanisms from uh, board games or games uh, or systems-oriented mechanisms. We use stuff that is more interesting from other fields. Uh, we can discover uh, stuff. We can uh, then put put pieces together, uh, like some of the interesting uh, uh, sim walkers we have in in computer games, where it's not about competing, but you're just putting together a story, and that's fascinating by itself, and that's okay. So I think so. There are a lot of things we can learn from different fields, and and I think we can definitely grow something that uh, that that is meaningful and uh, that helps people navigate. If I can just jump in here, you're talking about creating games and using, and I think, when, you know, we can't just sit here and, and, and define a new vocabulary of games because that's not going to work. It's one of the things that we tried to do. A few authors tried to do in interactive fantasy, and it's just like nobody uses those terms anymore. They, they're not useful. It will arise as, as people understand a need for terms, the terms will arise. But one of the purposes of, of this, I think, is going to be to inform designers as well as, as, as players and, and critics people who are actually putting games together. And Kieran, I wanted to bring you in at this point, um, and then we'll, we'll move on to questions. But right now, you're in the middle of, or coming towards the end of creating a role-playing game specifically about, specifically set in the world of a comic that you also created, but it's a comic that is set in a world of telling stories. It's basically, if I can, you know, the very brief spoiler for issue one of Die is, it's the D&D cartoon for grown-ups, um, and it's brilliant. And you should absolutely get hold of it. It's it is a thrilling read in the in the sense of I can't believe he just went there. It's that kind of, of thrilling. It's really really an exciting piece of storytelling. Turning that into an RPG, capturing the same kind of experiences that the players that the readers will have had from the comic and will be trying presumably to or expecting to get out of the RPG. Is this something that you found? How, how, have, how have you done Have you found that you've got the toolkit you need to do that? I must admit, I've, it's taken me a long time to sort of realise that I've never, ever really escaped being a critic. And I've ended up thinking that uh, a lot of my comics have been essentially fluid criticism. Like, Die is, as well as a comic about RPGs and why we play fantasy, the world it's set up on is a very clear meta deconstruction of everything that went into the fantasy genre. You've got whole Kriegspiel sections, you've got bits about the Brontes, you've got this co- so it's deliberately it's a living critical essay. So, but when I've started, found myself approaching design, I tend to approach design as as the deconstruction of the own story. So with Dai, it's like, well, it's like, okay, why does Dai work as a story? And then that's the level I, I go into games because it. Um, for example, and a critic friend of mine described Dai the game as basically a diet, a sort of game about how to do a Kieran Gillen story structure. Because basically I've cut off the bits and pieces. So as you start the game by making a, basically a social group who are completely broken. So you generate these three questions. These people are desperately unfulfilled. Then you go to an, a brief Nordic LARP section when you play people sitting down to play a, a game of RPG. So you play your own character you've just made up, do the social group. Then you get dragged into the game and go into something a bit more classic uh, Gygax Arneson. So you're now playing these characters transformed into these kind of idealized selves. And then you go for a series of like dungeoneering and psycho uh, therapy essentially. So it's all like whatever challenges you have are very clearly about your real world trauma. And then at the end of the game, there's these core, very, very core cool board game, in fact, almost like reality TV show mechanics of, oh yeah, now decide whether you go home or not. You've all got to agree, dead people don't get a vote. So that kind of explicitly is designed to interesting people into a blender. And then there's, a, then there's an element of game design that makes sure it comes to a climax. Oh, there's a, the third rule is the world's about to fall apart, so you've got to make a decision. So the game is really about what will you, what will you kill your friends over? Or what won't you kill your friends for? You know, that kind of like, is reality better than fantasy? And that's, you know what I mean? That's a piece of, that's me deconstructing what my, my comic is and going, okay, how do you actually create a landmap for that someone to play? And that's kind of, you know, which is interesting. You know what I mean? It was an interesting experience in that kind of way. 
Obviously, I've lost what the question was, but that's what Die does. Um, I found myself thinking about like the, um, I'm sure we're going to circle about this in a second, about we're defining what kind of games, but the flip of that, of course, we've also got to define what kind of players. That's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the dating aspect of it. Because I think, like, we talk about, um, you know, the, the, uh, the original Bartlett, four times of Rob, four times of people on mushes and muds. And they're called, you know, Robin D. Laws. I think it was seven or eight types of players. And I think that's like, you know, and the idea of people identifying what sort of players and what their own kind of, it's almost like um, their gaming sexuality, if you will. Like kind of like the, uh, you know, we've been very good at discussing ways of sexuality and like different ways of identifying and understanding yourself. Like in some ways, that's part of the vocabulary as well. You sort of like being able to understand yourself as a gamer, as in this is kind of what, I, this is what I like. Uh, these are the areas I'm into and be able to and that makes the conversation you know the, the back and forth the duality of it all and not the duality the reciprocal I can't say that word reciprocality can't say it whatever anyway that's where my head is right now <sighs> um yeah it's okay it's I've been uh, Kat, I think you've been keeping a closer eye on, on the Twitch chat than than I have, to be honest. We, we have six minutes. Are there any eight questions or, or points that have come up that we should we should address? Um, yeah, and um, there is there is some. Sorry, I'm having some fantastic chat in chat. Um, so uh, cartwheel no h um, has been talking about um, uh, AO3. Um, so he was saying that. Um, you can, uh, and it's effectively a robust tagging system. Um, so, for example, on uh, itch.io, um, you can tag your game however you want to, and um, Cartwheel feels that that has, has helped the development of different types of games and different structures of games like lyric games. Um, and I think that that robust kind of levels of, of tagging are, are definitely a way of doing it. And I wonder if that ties into what Jacob's done in terms of how you how you create that structure? I know Jacob talked talked about um, building a platform, um, but it, it's the how we translate the, those terms and translate those tags to an audience. I think as well is a, a big part of it. Um, and Mark six four two four has has said has asked basically how do we kind of um, even if if we develop a vocabulary, how we how do we disseminate this to the community? Would this be through like the academic fringes of the hobby or industry, or would we need the buy-in of community marketplaces like Drive-Through RPG, which I think is an interesting question. Um, again, like um, like John's kind of mentioned, like itch.io has been really good at enabling creators to uh, label their work in in ways that they want to. Um, so I can, but, um, I can spoil a bit about that because this is definitely something I've been interested in. And also, so we, we did that within the library sectors in, in Denmark, because if you, if you begin to create a language, if nobody's using that, then it's worth nothing, right? So, so it's, it's a huge effort about how to involve people, but at the same time, also keep pace in actually doing something that is meaningful, <laughs> because if everybody's involved initially, right away, we just have a huge discussion without going anywhere. Uh, but on the other hand, if you don't involve people, you don't create ownership, and then they won't take it in. So we developed a process in the, in the, within the Danish libraries where we were completely transparent about what we did. And we, we had the continuous meetings like every three months. We, and, and then between that, we also shared stuff every month with, with all the libraries in Denmark, but then involved more and more actors also beyond that. And, and they were able to, to influence and, uh, everything we had. And they, they were so surprised because they, initially they thought, okay, this is just a mock process because now you are co-opting us and then you are just defining anything you want and then we listen and then just not. But, but we actually did listen to them. Uh, and we, we changed a lot of stuff that fit with them and they were so surprised. And, and I think that, that's important that you have a meaningful, honest conversation, but also that you d actually do stuff, that you design stuff to move that conversation forward. So we did that. And that, I think that was one of the key reasons why we had a success there uh, and why it's now implemented. Uh, and uh, I have some of the same thoughts to do, to do something similar within our world. Uh, and I've actually been speaking with uh, some of the key actors within the board games, like some of the big uh, distributors. Uh, and uh, also there's a big platform, I don't know if you have heard about it, where we like put in a, a lot of games like IMDb. Uh, yeah, 
called Board Game Geek. Uh, they are also interested. Uh, and uh, we have uh, some other uh, also academics uh, that are interested. Uh, and and the, the idea is to, to basically create a process that is open uh, and transparent, but also moves forward uh, with some, uh, like a key team of very diverse uh, qualified people that can help create something that's, that we can discuss, but then uh, create an open process that can be shared and people can comment and 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 actually get involved in this. So 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 that this is something uh, I've been uh, like discussing with a lot of different uh, actors within the industry, and and they are very very eager to do this. So so I think yeah, this this will happen somehow, but it will also take time. We we need to be patient because it, it takes time to the uh, to to develop a, a good vocabulary, and and of course when we finally have something that we agree on, then uh, then it also sticks, <laughs> and then it becomes it 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 it, it, it both. It, it will both be enabling for us, but will also then be constraining again because any, anything you can express would also then constrain yourself. So that's, but that's just natural uh, how things work. So of course we want to do this smart, but also have a dynamic process where, we, where this vocabulary and this approach can continuously be yeah, developed and, and expanded. I think we can do that. I, I think if I can jump in. Um... I think very much if we start, if people start using terms that they find useful and other people find those terms useful to describe things in their own world, those mm -hmm. terms will be picked up and they will be spread. Whether it's the magic circle from uh, Johan Husinger, uh, which is now you know, part of game, general games discourse, Bartle's player types, words like bleed or grimdark. You know, you say grimdark, everyone immediately knows what that is because it's a useful term for describing a particular genre and style of, of gameplay and indeed the emotions, the, the sensations that you'll go through as a player. Um, put the terms out there in a useful kind of way. And I think the HIO tagging system is a, is a really useful way. Yeah. Drive-throughs Another... drive tagging system for games is, is useless unless you are doing something that already fits within existing genres and, and rule systems. I get my sales on, on drive-through are awful for Baron Munchausen. Um, you know, with blowing my own trumpet, a, a well-regarded award multi-award winning system that's still in print after after 20 years because there is no way that you can tag this is a humor drinking yeah. game played in a single session set in the late 18th century it doesn't fit within their within their boundaries so yeah self-tagging new terms all of them. yeah mm -hmm. I, I just want to want to briefly touch on something that um cartwheel has said in the chat which i think is is really useful and it's about um the fanfic community and he said that the fanfic community has come up with a lot of different ways of describing the experience of reading that particular type of fiction um which you know are very i think very stealable for us because yeah exactly you want to be able to search drive through for uh, a social rpg that you can play in the pub with your friends right you want to be able to search for that rather than you know uh fantasy uh storytelling game about a baron right you know you you need those kind of different levels of of the the experience that you go through and that's what what uh, carmen is saying that fantasy or fanfic does quite well um, yeah it's I, I think i sadly i think we're out of time um thank you all for Okay, um, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I'm at James Wallace on Twitter. Um, my, uh, the Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen is on drive through and also print copies available from uh, Indie uh, Press Revolution. Uh, the few remaining ones, uh, the few remaining 650 copies that I got back from Fantasy Flight. Um, various other things I've done are out there. As I say, I'm working for Asma Day these days. Um, uh, Kieran? I'm... Uh... Google, enter my name into Google, you'll find lots of stuff. All my books are available for everywhere. I have an itch.io place now where you can download the die beta. Also, my Come Dice With Me RPG based around the British uh, celebrity, sorry, the British dining competitive show, which is people seem to like, and it's very dumb. Uh, yeah. Cat. Uh, um, yeah, so um, I, I largely operate through Pelgrane Press, and you can find us at Pelgrane Press on, on pretty much everything. We're, we're on all the channels. Um, so it's P-E-L-G-R-A-N-E, P-R-E-S-S -E, uh, -E for press. So we're on, we're uh, at that on Twitter, we're at that on um, 
on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitch now, on YouTube, everything. Search for Pulgrain Press and you will find us. And we love having these conversations. Um, you can find me personally on Twitter at, uh, I'm at CatTHM. Um, and yeah, and like hit me up with like more thoughts about this because this is fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, I have made this game Fog of Love. So it can be found on fogoflove.com. <laughs> And, uh, and it can be found uh, in all major stores out there, uh, both in the US and Europe. Uh, my personal Twitter is Jacob uh, Jaskov, so, so that's super easy to find. Uh, so yeah, just look for my name. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you all so much for, for taking part. Thank you to those in the comments for um, Tackling, I mean, it is a difficult subject because there is no the kind of discipline that we're trying to explain. We're trying to explore a subject that, that doesn't really have any points of any fixed terms of reference at the moment. Um, I think, you know, go, go away, think about stuff, start using words that you find interesting to describe how, how games work. Um, and I'm sure in a few months, Jacob will, will you know, that spring some entire system upon us and it'll be out there in Board Game Geek and, and everywhere else. Um, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you all so much for, for taking part, for, for listening, for contributing. Um, enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.